Grant's Interest Rate Observer is on the air. Again, this is uh, Jim Grant on behalf of um, Evan Lorenz, the great Evan Lorenz, uh, Deputy Editor of Grant's Interest Rate Observer, and Eric Whitehead is at the controls, uh, the editor of Almost Daily Grants. Phil Grant is on the scene as well, and we are here to bring you uh, like a podcast, an interest rate-themed podcast. You know, the New York Times had a story a couple of days ago about podcasts, that uh, the themes of which were, let's see, death, misery, and sex. And I'm just not going to go there today. I'm, you know, Interest rates should be a step interest up. Interest rates are a step up. Um, well, we have one heck of a program, which, by the way, and not so by the way, is sponsored by our, our good friends uh, at uh, audible.com. Uh, slash Jim Grant. I'm not supposed to say audible.com without saying slash Jim Grant, but it's a um, book by Red Voice Business, and uh, we think it's pretty terrific and would think so even if they weren't paying, uh, was it $100,000 for this? A million for the AEA. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And uh, we are sponsored uh, also, uh, not less, not least, by Bonwee. Bonwee, which is one heck of a hotel and travel site. And you'll hear more about those presently. And uh, in the meantime, Evan, I want to talk to you about Bitcoin. It's kind of a sore point among us gold bugs because uh, Bitcoin goes up and our gold uh, doesn't. But there was some measure of, uh, of low schadenfreude this week in the Bitcoin department because uh, there's a spinoff. There's a fratricidal spinoff among the technophiles. And there's something called Bitcoin Cash, which had um, a suitably up-tempo technological bull and bear cycle within, what, uh, five business days or five days? Yeah. Okay. So, Evan, you yourself pointed this out. Uh, July 31st, uh, $294.46, which I guess one could reckon is cheap for whatever it is. Whatever it is. By August 2nd, it had spiked intraday to $756.93 per, per what? Per whatever it is. Per Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. And, um, and here it is today at $282.82, which would seem to be like a huge opportunity for Bitcoin Cash if you knew what Bitcoin Cash was. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop with the snarkiness. I just don't get this stuff, but there it is. There's a really fast bull and bear market the, cycle. The one thing I love about it is they call it Bitcoin Cash, which is a wonderfully ironic name. But it also reminds me of Valiant, which when they um, created their adjusted non-gap earnings, they called them cash earnings. So the cash earnings were the ones that eliminated all the cost of actually you know, running a business. A friend of mine who uh, runs a fund of funds says they have been tempted periodically to uh, report their results uh, ex-managers who didn't work out. You know, the, uh, the Bitcoin business generally uh, brings to mind the uh, evident purported commercial utility of these ethereal digital currencies. And I want to skip directly to an ad, but you're not allowed, listeners, to put this on like uh, 6.0 times. This is not chipmunk talk. I'm going to give you an information-packed ad for Bon Wee, this travel site. Now, this is a travel site where you can book hotels and cars, and they scan all the major travel sites, give you the lowest price, and they guarantee rates to 110% guarantee. And get this, when you book through bonwee.com, you also get, quote, up to 30% back in reward points. Other travel sites get what? 2%, 10%? You know how much it costs you to transact in Bitcoin? It's like your firstborn child, right? I mean, you have, to, you have to pay a lot of money for the privilege of transacting in Bitcoin. You go on Bonwee, and um, you know, gold bugs can do this too, and, and they get money back. Just another kick at Bitcoin while it's down temporarily. Anyway, bonwee.com. 
B-O-N-W-I.com. Uh, start saving money on hotels and getting up to 30% back in rewards, period. And this will also end the recurrent now digital currency segment of this program. Evan, um, I, I, you have been making a study lately of the fangs. What have you found? The fangs, F-A-N-G-Z, is it? People love them, or, or at least they don't hate them. Short interest in um, the shares traded of the, of the fangs, that's Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and uh, Google, which is Alphabet now, has dropped to 2%. And if you exclude Netflix, it uh, drops to 1%. And the amazing thing is, way back in the not-so-distant uh, time of September of 2012, short interest in this group of stocks was just under 10%. And today, the average short interest in the S&P 500 is 4%. So people are uh, half as short uh, the things as they are the general index. When the stock prices were up probably Yeah, Facebook is high. up, I only think, like 47% this year. Yeah. Well, you know what they say, the, the late, great Richard Russell always said, markets make opinions, and indeed they do. Evan, as we were, uh, some of us, brushing our teeth this morning and getting ready for the day, the, um, the government, uh, which is up and at them, if any institution is, reported uh, payroll results for the month of July. That was today. And the number came out, it was pretty keen. It was, uh, it was 200 and something or a thousand. It was above expectations. They beat and raised, or at least they beat. And there was none of this, uh, you know, adjusted employment either. It was this 200 and something thousand. It was meant to be a 209,000, meant to be a very good report. So in the aftermath of this better than expected number uh, comes renewed odds brought to you by the odds makers. At what uh, I think it's a someplace? Fed Funds uh, futures markets. Ah, Fed Funds futures market uh, has delivered to us uh, the revised probability as calculated by the structure of these forward rates of a rate hike in the following months, uh, next September and then uh, November, November 1st. That uh, that happens to be the uh, birthday of Dr. Patricia Kavanaugh, MD, right? Yeah. Uh, my wife and Phil's mother. And then there's one for January 31st of 2018, which is fast approaching, I suppose. And then there's March 21st, 2018. And the prophets who can see out to March 21st, 2018, assigning a 55.1% likelihood of a rate rise. 55%. Now, Evan, would you care to guess the probability that the markets are attaching to a rate cut? Um, well, growth has been soft, so, so something. No, not something, nothing. Rate, uh, the probability assigned to a rate cut is zero. It's zero in September, it's zero in November, January, and December. We skipped one. And it's zero on March 31st, 2018. Now, um, if you look at your phone uh, and ask, ask your phone, will it rain in 10 days? The phone will give you an answer, right? Because uh, the phone is meant to be all-knowing. It does know everything, mainly. Uh, but that 10-day forecast is almost certainly going to be superseded by new and better information. And the probability of rain 10 days hence that's now zero is going to be, I would reckon, to be more than zero, just in, just the, in the way of the mm. world, right? Okay. So what could intercede between now and March to deliver the possibility of an actual rate cut as unimaginable as that is uh, now? There could be a showdown of the debt ceiling that could lead to... Um political problems that uh, that cause businesses to refrain from investing or cause a spike up in interest rates. Uh, uh, China could implode. Uh, U.S. can go into recession. Without, without anybody 
issuing a press release for anything? No, recessions like tend that? to issue very press very few press releases. Just just kind of happening. Well, I don't know. I think that uh, the zero probability business is very is intriguing, and uh, I commend it uh, to your uh, imaginations whether anything in this mortal life is zero percent probability. Uh, Mets winning the World Series. What do you think? Uh, well, I guess some things are zero probability. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spoken like a Mets fan. Um, Evan, um, global art sales are contracting. What is this all about? Well, the funny thing to me is every single asset market around the world seems to be booming except for the ultimate vabling good for, for rich people, which is uh, art sales. They're, they're collapsing to, I think, the lowest level since, is it the financial yeah. crisis? Yes, it is. Which uh, is kind of an amazing fact when um, the wealth effect should be propelling, you know, the well-to-do um, more so than anybody. Maybe they're selling their art to buy Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, finally, or semi-finally, because we have uh, we have a fabulous interview coming up with our good friend uh, Frederick E. Shadro Jr. So, Evan, semi-finally, you were also the source of the observation that a couple of these uh, recent IPOs have um, have not done well. At least not for the uh, the investors. They probably done fine for the underwriters, and the company certainly received the proceeds. Uh, but both in the case of Blue Apron and Snap, uh, the currently quoted prices are well below, in the case of uh, Blue Apron, well below the uh, offering price. Uh, what does this call to mind? To me, um, it, it calls to mind uh, a cycle's past in which um, a lot of uh, private equity and a lot of venture investors collected a lot of stock and they were not uh, not. Loath to exactly. It. it actually reminds me of something that uh, Jim Chano said at a grants conference. Uh, it was the fall 2013, and for the grants issue, it's the November 1st, 2013 issue. Um, he said this about 2000. Inexorably, as Yale and others uh, that had enormous venture capital gains begin to distribute them in, um, in late 1999 and early 2000, suddenly you sort of got your fill. And the marginal cost of printing stock certificates for unprofitable businesses is virtually nil. So I'd watch very carefully for issuance. And I, I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing um, unprofitable companies come to market, and uh, it seems like maybe somebody has their fill. Oh, before we forget, before I forget, which it would be a, a terrible faux pas, I would like to tell you a little bit more, just a little bit more about audible.com slash Jim Grant, which is the aforementioned audible book business. And, uh, and here, is the, here is the opportunity. You can, by logging on to the aforementioned audible.com slash Jim Grant, you can get yourself a free book, a free Audible book. And Phil, you've investigated and you have determined that uh, David Lau's book, No More Champagne, is, is available, right? So, yeah, okay. Now, David Lau's uh, wonderful and gross right, nightmarish yes. book is a study of Winston Churchill's reverse Midas touch. Now, we reviewed this book in Grants favorably. Let me say, it is a wonderful read. My goodness, it's harrowing because Churchill went through his life half drunk, and as my friend Michael Harkin says, half drunk and mostly broke. Uh, it sounds most disrespectful. I don't mean to be, except those are the facts. He, he um, was a great, uh, well, he, he loved champagne. As he, he, he loved champagne, that's all. He loved champagne. And as to the broke part, this book is chapter and verse. And uh, wow, I mean, uh, there are innumerable books on how to manage your money, and here might be the best book on how to mismanage it. So I commend this book to you, and I commend uh, audible.com slash Jim Grant. Oh, sorry, I love that name, Pass the Slash. That's awfully nice. 
Well, with us today is uh, none other than uh, Frederick Shad Rowe. Shad Rowe is how his friends know him, and his friends are uh, more or less, uh, well, you can't count them up. He's got a lot. Now, Shad and I go back, uh, what, Shad, uh, uh, 97 years, I think. Yeah. A long time. I was 30, but that's a pretty long time. Yep. And I knew Shad when he was a, as a short seller. He was uh, uh, very much ahead of the pack with respect to the developing difficulties in Texas, uh, property companies and, and all manner of real estate and the banks and thrifts. And uh, that worked fine until one day, about 1991, it stopped working. And uh, Shad was looking at losses rather than his accustomed, and I'll get around to how accustomed, profits. And uh, his wonderful uh, late mother and he were in conversation, and she consolingly said to him approximately this. He said, well, honey, I just know something terrible is going to happen. And uh, Shad, whose uh, sense of humor is a, a close runner-up to his ability as a stock picker, laughed about this and told me, and one of the great Grant's cartoons came out of this. Um, I don't know, we, we might uh, make that make available on the website. The Frederick E. Rowe-inspired cartoon about something terrible happening to delight the bears. Now, Shad, for his mostly uh, for the time I've known him, is now a recovering short seller and has amassed a record that over the past uh, three, five, and 10 years has uh, not only beaten the S&P, but I think humiliated it. And uh, he recently contributed a piece to, uh, uh, to Barron's in which he talked of a very thoughtful piece about indexing. And he held out the prospect of a kind of a new nifty 50 of uh, globally competitive cash generating companies that uh, just might become a new kind of uh, currency. Uh, Shad, welcome to the Grants Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Well, uh, you and I have uh, agreed to disagree for a long time. I noticed that you have more money than I do, yeah. but I want you to, t to tell me just uh, um, an outline um, how you see the world, and um, and uh, I, sh I should say by way of preface, I think I've talked enough, but let me say by way of preface still that you run a very concentrated portfolio, and I think that uh, as much as, uh, what, uh, your top six stocks account for almost 70% of your equity, uh, 12 positions, the 95%. So tell us, if you would, how you view the world and why you've chosen the stocks you have chosen. Well, Obviously, the short selling wasn't working for me, you know, psychologically. But I, uh, I just, I, I think I had sort of an evolution, you know, where I, I began in the in the investment business and thinking that everything I needed to know was in the First National Bank building in Dallas. Now there is no First National Bank, and the world was a little bit bigger than that. And so I kept expanding my horizons as the world seemed to get smaller. And it always does get smaller. And uh, it seems to me that there's more money being made by fewer people, but. You know, on average, it's great, and uh, these people that get on the right side of trends and the people that are smart and the people that do something better, faster, cheaper uh, seem to me to be the place to be. And uh, I've, I've looked back, and, and uh, every every decade, they're leading stocks throughout the world, and they seem to stay on the list for a while after they enter that list. They seem to be a source of big profits, and it's uh, kind of fun to be a cheerleader. <laughs> a I think it is, and so that's that's kind of it. And I think I, I think I'm right, but who knows? Well, uh, you have had a, a, a terrific uh, run to the upside. I want to ask you um, about Facebook, Shaz. I think it's your biggest holding, uh, up, yes. a, up a mere forty-seven percent on the year, and um, it's a what a hundred and seventy-dollar stock or thereabouts, and and uh, your basis is uh, is uh, less than thirty, which speaks certainly to um, the early sighting of yours. 
But tell me, Chad, you know, Procter & Gamble was um, in the news a couple of days ago saying that uh, um, they think a lot of the, the clicks registered on Facebook um, are not, uh, if they're not phony, they at least are not uh, producing any revenue for P&G. So P&G cut back its digital advertising by about $150 million and said it noticed zero effect on its sales. Is, is, is Facebook destined to be for the ages, or is this to a cycle? I think it's destined to be around a long time. Maybe you considered the, 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 almost like the wildfire that caught on, you know, from the Ivy League schools to the rest of the world, and they have over 2 billion regular users, you know, daily users. New York Times has 2 million subscribers, and it's been around a long time, it's, and, and the, the users provide their own content. And uh, I just find it amazing. It's just absolutely stunning what, what the growth that that thing has had. And uh, I don't really use it, but uh, a few of my children do, and I've, I've watched them, and it's uh, dynamic, to say the least. Well, face, Facebook uh, says on the second page of the queue that uh, younger people are not uh, as attuned to it. Um, well, they're, 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 they're attuned to the photograph deal or WhatsApp. Or, they, may, they have other, other venues that are part of the same company. I see. They haven't even started doing advertising on yet. Now, way back when, I guess the year was 2001 or thereabouts, that fateful year, there was a merger between two uh, putative finalists uh, and world beaters in the realm of um, the new advertising media. And they were AOL and Time Warner. And that turned out to be a, a rather notorious case of uh, buyer's regret. Uh, how do we know that... Uh, the juggernauts of Google and Facebook aren't going to run up against the same problems of, you know, of, of new unexpected competition, of market saturation, even perhaps of uh, federal antitrust regulation that the giants of yesteryear confronted. Well, it's possible. Uh, you know, in retrospect, the AOL and Time Warner seem like uh, infants compared to these companies. But it's a matter of, 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 of scale and the popularity of them. I mean, people love it. They like being on it, and it's going to be you – know, you, you might not necessarily like to have uh, someone have control of the price of oil or something like that. There's a reason to get the, the politicians after them, but people like the, like the products and like the way they spend the time and like the power that gives them. I was going to observe that uh, you have been in the forefront of a lot of trends. One of the things that you talked about before many other people did was, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, uh, there was a lot of talk about so-called peak oil, uh, not enough to go around. Not enough being discovered, not enough being invested in discovery. And you said um, that, observe, uh, that beneath the Exxon building in Dallas, your hometown, they discovered um, an immense deposit of something or other having to do with hydrocarbons. Yeah. And if this stuff could be hiding under the Exxon headquarters, who's to say there isn't a great deal of it in the world? So that's by way of preface to another question, namely... What kind of trends are you now beginning to imagine that perhaps the world has not twigged onto yet? While you think, I'm going to prompt you, because this is from your terrific piece in Barron's a couple of weeks ago, and you said um, uh, that indexing is not over, far from it, but um, on form, uh, it too will be taken to an extreme, and that perhaps what lies ahead is what you called a new nifty 50. Now, that's something that people are not really talking about. What might that be? Well, it would be these uh, dominant companies that people love the products because they do things better, faster, cheaper, and what I say is for the customer instead of to the customer. These are relatively new companies, and they've come up with new ways to do things. 
and they do it better, faster, cheaper, and for the customer. So I think that's a nice change. And, you know, I've talked about companies in phase one, you know, that, that, that do those things better, faster, cheaper, and for the customer. And phase two, they're kind of cross-selling. And probably phase 11, you have the banks where they're figuring out different ways to rip people off. I know Goldman uh, Sachs is not in your portfolio. <laughs> well, it's uh, it, it is funny how you how you think of the customer, and uh, whether you're Jeff Bezos or whether you're anyone else, customer ought to come first, and you got to do something for them if you're going to prevail. Yeah, you know, I, I noticed in your portfolio, Shad, you have both Amazon, and you have Costco. Yeah, uh, I don't see them as, as conflicting at all, but. I think Costco is brilliant, and they're, they're suffering in the stock market now. I'm not even thinking about selling it. But I think Costco does something for the customer, too, is that they have a lower selection of SKUs, you know, storekeeper units, and, and they have the products that they like, and they put them in, you have to buy in quantity. You know, one of the desirable things you need in a new house, you know, these builders tout their uh, Costco pantries. You know, in other words, if you've got to have 12 rolls of, of tan towels, you have to buy them there, and, but they're great. You know, they have their own uh, brand, and, and uh, it's, uh, it's fun to go there. I love to go there. Yeah. Um, in conclusion, Chad, if you were still in the short-selling business, and I, I, I know you're not. I know you're recovering. I don't mean to tempt you for one drink at the bar, only one drink, but do you yeah. see something out there that if, if, you were inclined to uh, sell first and buy later. Uh, you might take a little flyer on. Well, I think that uh, I would look at what where these companies are going and, and get in the way of them. I mean, you know, it starts out gradually. You know, these companies get the competition. You know, newspapers held on for a pretty long time, and then they just disintegrated because there are no revenues. And uh, I think about short selling a lot, and it, it just it was it's a tough way to make a living. I think. Where I'm looking first is where something constructive is going to happen, not where something destructive is going to happen. You know, when we talked about the Texas real estate, it, it turned out that, it, yes, it broke a lot of savings and loans and broke some banks, but it also provided some cheap real estate for companies to move to Texas in. So the people that were there to pick up the pieces did very well. The building's still there, are they? They're still there, and they're full. <laughs> uh, thank you, Shad. That's delightful. Great to talk to you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Uh, until the next time, this is Grant's Interest Rate Observer. I am Jim Grant, and it is a pleasure indeed to have been with you. Mm-hmm.